morning we are taking a look at the divine institutions. We've identified four of them. First one being the ability to decide, which is free will. The second one being the marriage institution, husband and wife, male and female. We have also looked at the family and the fact that that's a part of what sets up and distinguishes nations. And that led into Genesis 10, where the Lord divided the people into nations based on their uh, language and tongue primarily is what he did. And so we find that the, the Lord has the divine design behind nations. We've tracked it to the fact that it's all the way through into the eternal state. There are going to be nations in the eternal state. So the Lord likes nations. That's what he does. And we've been looking at what makes a nation. We've looked at basic principles of um, uh, divine establishment, that how should a nation function. Uh, we've also looked at, uh, we're starting to look at those who are on the attack against it. That starts with secular humanism. When you look at secular humanism, otherwise known as atheism, that's where it starts. Its major proponent is Marxism. And Marxism is what we're looking at today. It's, uh, it's just something that uh, we don't even realize and they don't even realize, let people realize until it happens. It is insidious, it is deceitful, it is dangerous, it is an absolute mess. Anybody that studied the Bolshevik Revolution should never want it on their own country because that's what the plan is, that's what, how they do it, that's how they implement it and put it into place. And uh, we can see the, those uh, principles being uh, going on all over the world right now. And it looks like that Marxism has decided to make its move uh, it does not like freedom at all. It does not like any of our Bill of Rights. It doesn't like any part of free speech, freedom of religion. It doesn't even like religion. It, it detests religion, but it's its own religion, which it doesn't want to acknowledge. But that's what we have shown. That's what it is. So we've started taking a look at it. We looked last week at Marx and who he was, and, and uh, we see that it's basically a philosophy to implement atheism because it is the it is the methodology behind uh, an idea that says there is no god and that's what that's what they want people to believe and so we're going to take a few minutes to get ourselves ready spiritually before we look at this because one of the things we have to do, we have to always look at the truth, but occasionally we have to look at the lie whenever the lie is so very obvious and tries to hide itself and does so so very well. We have to take a look at it and see what its methods are, but we don't need to dwell on it. We need to go back to the truth, study the truth, and keep our whole whole ideas and attitudes based on what God's Word has to say. So let's take this time to prepare ourselves to study. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you again for your matchless love, your amazing grace. We thank you that you even would have anything to do with us. Uh, bringing us into existence, knowing how, how uh, the levels of evil that, that we could descend into, and yet your, your love just uh, spoke out and said that you're going to make a creature that you could have fellowship with honestly, who would be able to make a decision to love you back in return. Father, what an amazing plan. 
We know it's not been without difficulties. But Father, we do know that you love us beyond anything we can think or imagine. So Father, I pray we would spread that love and that more people would see it and have the opportunity to to experience it for all of eternity. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what are some of the methods? And we looked at last week at a couple of those methods. The first one is demoralization. And that's what they want to do when they go into any country. That's what they will do is demoralize people. They will. Now, how do they go about doing that? Well, if you think you've, you've fought a battle for 20 years in another country and then you just pulled out and left it, what better way to demoralize the military? Whenever you think that maybe you've got a little money saved away and then all of a sudden taxation and inflation hit, is that demoralizing? Uh, when, uh, when the head of one of these um, uh, big tech giants comes out and says, get ready for galloping inflation. And I, uh, for, when I first heard that a couple of days ago, Zuckerberg came out and said that. And he came out and said it, and I went, ah, oh, sounds a whole lot like a a quart of wheat for a denarius. Remember that little phrase found in Revelation about rationing? Well, a denarius was a day's wage when that was written. And that's the level to which inflation can rise. It's done in Germany. It's done it in other places over the years. And that's where your your money basically was worth worth nothing, that which you have. And that's one way that they go about reissuing new money, confiscating money. That's how they do it. Various uh, communist nations around the world, example is Vietnam. Anytime somebody uh, puts a little money back and they start saving over there, the government goes in and changes the currency. And the old currency is no good. So if you've got a little bit saved, which you don't want to put it in a bank because the banks all fail and they're run by the government anyway, so what happens? You lose that which you have. So you demoralize people. And it happens financially. It happens to the military. It ha- they want to demoralize people because what you do is break down a system and then you install a new one. And that is their whole approach to doing things. And it takes a demoralization to say, this system doesn't work. Have they gone after the legal system? I mean, how do you know that if you're actually beat up and robbed that anybody's ever going to do any jail time for it anymore? It's just, it's, you don't know. You don't know because our judicial system and our legal system in so many ways has become a matter of winning rather than finding the truth. And that is a problem. When all the attorneys want to do is win their cases and get their hash marks, their their marks on their holsters, if you will, that's all they want to do is add up the wins, and they uh, they don't care about how they go about doing it. Well, that's a problem. What happens when you find out that maybe your politicians are crooked? Why why bother to even elect them <clears throat> if they're crooked? If they get all this inside information about who to invest in and who to sell <clears throat> and what to sell, oh, well, I guess that's due to their privilege. And then they pass a law that exempts themselves from such things that you and I would go to jail for if the system was just to begin with. 
And is that, is that encouraging to a nation? Well, what do they do? Demoralize. What did you hear in some of the, the uh, marches and things going on over the summer? They came through the streets of Oklahoma City last summer and said, we're going to burn down the system, not the city. We're going to burn down the system. Well, the system might have flaws, but it's also got ways to change it and to change it in a civil way. So demoralization is one of the first things that they want to do of any nation. And, <clears throat> and like I say, we can go from country to country where they have moved in. They moved into India. Uh, there's, the stories just keep flowing, so excuse me if I seem like a rabbit trail. But they demoralized people. How did they get into South India, into Kerala state, which was a Christian state? In India, the Hindu country, South uh, Kerala and Orissa state were at one time both Christian states in India. What happened? The communists went into the Christian states. Why? Because sometimes the Christians are not too smart. And so what happened there? The Hindus started persecuting the Christians. And what did the communists do to gain their favor? They went and killed a couple of top Hindu leaders that were leading the persecution. And the Christians thought, oh, they're really nice. Then they ran for office and got elected into office. And the first thing they did was shut down the public hospital. Isn't that nice? Next thing they did was revaluated all of the real estate that was found there so they could tax it to a different level. That's who they are, and that's how they operate. The second thing they do is distract. Now, distraction is one of these things where that is that is um, you can expect it. I mean, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's what 2 Corinthians 11 says. That's who he is. That's how he works. He tries to present himself as a real nice guy, kind of like a snake in the garden that's telling you how you can become like God, knowing good and evil. And that's how he presents himself. He's never changed his uh, overall strategy. He's just changed his methods to adapt to various, various cultures. Distract. When you see the truth in front of your own eyes and then, then somebody says, well, there's not really a problem there. When you see people streaming across a border, which is one of the markers of a nation, and they're not being stopped or checked or vetted or anything else that goes with the laws of that land, and then you say, well, it's not really a problem. It is a problem. It violates all kinds of laws and it affects the overall uh, nation itself but that's just a distraction I feel sorry for that laundry uh, girl and guy and all that other stuff and yeah it was all a mess and all done it was a distraction folks it was a distraction and sad to say I think if that had been a black couple involved I don't think they would have picked it up now should it be that way no it shouldn't be that way at all there should be an, an even balance when you got a problem like that and some kids gone, but two kids out there fighting with each other, uh, tracking across the United States and all that. It was sad the way that it came to an end. Nobody would argue with that. But hours of news coverage on it, when other things are going wrong like Afghanistan, I mean, that's all distraction. 
That was the movie Wag the Dog. You may have seen 20 or 30 years ago where they decided they would make up some um, uh, make up some things and uh, uh, spin the news the other way. And that's that's what they did. And sadly, they've they've done it for real. I mean, the politician. I don't think the movie get, got the politicians to do it. It described what a lot of the politicians do. Okay, so. That's distraction, and that is a common part. Whenever Marxism wants to install itself, it demoralizes and then it distracts from what's going on. The third thing is distortion. Now, Psalm 28 says, To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, do not be deaf to me, for if you are silent to me, I'll become like one of those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry out to you for help. When I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity. Who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. An an iniquity in scripture, it's like a sin. Only it's the type of sin that takes the truth and twists it. See, the Lord wants the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. That's what he wants. That's what he, that's what he wants. And this, who drag away, and workers of iniquity. And iniquity, and I'm thankful, Isaiah 53 says the Lord took care of our iniquities. When we take the truth and spin it to our own selfish ends, that's what iniquity is. And who are workers of iniquity? Some of the politicians are, are pretty clear about that. Some of the people that lead some of the, the news outlets are pretty clear about that. They take the truth and spin it to their own selfish ends. And the workers of iniquity uh, have used often what they call critical thinking to advance their agenda. This is a lure to wisdom and secret information known only to the elite. To the elite. Critical thinking includes... Higher critical theory. Now, higher critical theory started in the 1800s, and it was developed by German theologians. It's actually what led, in part, to the rise of Hitler, because it let the uh, it, it let the Lutherans decide to look at Scripture in another way. And higher critical theory took the uh, first five books of the Bible, uh, the Pentateuch, and they split it up. And they decided, well, Moses really didn't write it all. Now, what kind of statement is that? I'd say it's blasphemous. Because the Lord attributed those books to Moses. So when you say that Moses really didn't write the first five books of the Bible, that's blasphemy to start with. And that just basically says Jesus was a liar or didn't know what he was talking about. So they took the Bible and they turned it into the JEDP theory, the J being the Yahwist. This is the Greek. Everywhere you see Jehovah 
or Lord in capital letters in in the first five books of the Bible. They attributed that to a group of writers who wrote it down in in that portion of the Bible in 950 B.C. Now Moses lived from 1525 to 1405 B.C. So Moses is 500 years before the first part of the Pentateuch. The law was written down according to these people. They have no proof for this. It was just an assumption they set out to prove. And then in 850, the Elohist came along. And all the verses that have Elohim in there, translated God, those people came and wrote their portion of the Bible. Of course, the some of the Bible has got Jehovah God, Yahweh God, the Lord God, one right after another. But it, that means that they just took the verses and stacked them on top of each other. And then they stopped reading it like they were supposed to, and the king stopped reading it like they were supposed to, and stopped writing down their own copy like they were required to under the law, and they lost it until Hezekiah found it in 621 B.C., so that's where the Deuteronomist came in, referring to the law. So you have J-E-D-P, and then the priestly code came along in 450, whenever uh, Ezra and Nehemiah That priestly group of people came along and they added the P part of it, the Leviticus part of it. So that's how higher critical theory thinks. So what did they do? They divided up. They had no basis to divide it up other than a presupposition they set out to prove which tried to attack the scriptures as we know it. The first five books of the Bible have, if I remember right, 304,590 letters. Something to that effect. Somewhere in that that ballpark. They'll tell you exactly. They know exactly how many letters are found in the first five books of the Bible. You know how many letters of those letters are in question? Six. Six are in question. Is it is this a a yod looks like this and a wow looks like that? And sometimes then it's all handwritten. So they have a question maybe about is it a yod or a wow? The big deal is it doesn't make a difference <laughs> whether it's a yod or a well in the, in the interpretation and meaning of the verses. How accurate is the first five books of the Bible? Extremely accurate. And yet, higher critical theory seeks to break it up. Critical race theory is going to try to attribute uh, one race as being superior to the other. And the Lord has told us from the beginning, no race is superior to the other. We all came out of Adam, and then we all came out of Noah and his wife. So guess what? We're all brothers and sisters in, in the whole issue of humanity. That's who we are. Who did Christ die for? People from every tribe and nation and people and tongue. Okay? We are all equal before the Lord. That's the bottom line. We realize, the founders of our Constitution, that all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, the founding fathers knew that. But these critical theories, so-called critical uh, thinking, critical law theory, also came in. Critical law theory says, hey, we can take the Constitution. John Marshall did this. And, of course, we have a high school in Oklahoma City named after John Marshall. I think it might be a junior high now. It was a high school we had a big football rivalry with when I was in high school. And uh, John Marshall came in and said, 
the law is a is an he was on the Supreme Court. The law must recognize evolution. So he applied evolution to the law. And that's part of what took us in the direction that we are now, where so many things are called constitutional that are not constitutional at all. They have no constitutional bearing. So <clears throat> this is part of what they practice. Now, it seems to take apart that which is well-known, uh, though not universally practiced, and then it goes after it to do what? To destroy to destroy, to distract. True critical thinking. We have to have critical thinking to be able to think properly, to be able to evaluate uh, news that we hear, information that we read. Think, we have to be able to do this. True critical thinking is the use of logical reasoning honestly applied to valid facts and objective reality to arrive at a true conclusion. Okay? I think the Bible might call it discernment. Find out what is really there. That's what we want to know. What are the facts? There are I find it interesting that that scientists can take the same set of data and come up with different conclusions. And part of the reason they do that is because they have different worldviews. If you have an atheistic evolutionary worldview to begin with, then you somehow want to justify that this thing happened by chance. But if you have a worldview that starts with a creator, then you see his design in it. And the most of the great scientists throughout the course of history were trying to find out how God did things. That's what they were trying to do. That was their, their motivation. How did God do this? Because they wanted to know. Because God said, seek me with all your heart and you're going to find me. The deeper you look into reality, the more you see the Almighty. That's just a fact. Distortion. Then division. Luke 11. The Lord is listening to people trying to trap him. They're trying to catch him once again. And it says, but he knew their thoughts. And he said to them... Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. But if, I cast out, if by Beelzebul I cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? They'll be your judges. The Lord said you claim that what I do is by the power of Satan. And he said, how do your sons do this? Well, actually, their sons do that by the power of Satan, but not the Almighty, who has done things that only God could do. But he points out a kingdom divided against itself will never stand. I know we read through the Bible and we go, well, the Antichrist, he's going to, he's going to rule the world. He's a wannabe ruler of the world. Think about it. He never completes it. He never completes his task. See, oftentimes polytheists will use Marxism in order to accomplish their task because their methods are so effective. So he is a polytheist. And who is he trying to link up with? The kings of the East who are also polytheists. But who's been part of the battle all along? The king of the north, which is an atheist. 
Russia. So guess what? You have a major battle, people trying to take things over by means of Marxism because it's so effective, where they rule the hearts, minds, and souls of uh, people allotted to their charge, if you will. And they, they try to do that, and it looks to me right now that all the Marxists are trying to move in and take over their little piece of land. You know what? They're never going to be content with each other. Look what just happened in Australia over the course of last month. Oh, what did they do a couple of years? Didn't they take up all the guns? Confiscate all the guns? What? Why would people who had guns lay them down? That's not real smart. You notice the way that communism works in places like Myanmar? You know who does not have guns? The people. They've been gone a long time. The first thing they do is Take away the guns so people cannot defend themselves. And then they move in with all kinds of, of uh, oppressive policies and regulations. And if you don't get in line, they'll kill you. That's what they do. They, they will stop at nothing. But the interesting thing about power, an absolute power even over a small area like Australia, by comparison, it corrupts. Do you think these people will ever come together? They'll turn on each other. That's the nature of who they are. Will a Russian communist get along with a Chinese communist? Only as they can go after a free people. That's the only time they work together because they have their own mindset of who's going to rule the world. So <clears throat> it's never going to work. Division is at the, at the heart of it. Now, <clears throat> destruction is also part of it. In Matthew 24, it says Jesus came out from the temple. He was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. They will destroy. That's what they do as they try to they put their their place there they put their uh, governmental structure in place and then they remove those who are called dissidents they remove them or send them to Siberia uh, to Russia they put a policy in when I was in Russia one time actually in Siberia and we were teaching pastors over there teaching Baptist pastors about the security of the believer uh, because uh, once saved, always saved, doesn't work with a Baptist <laughs> in Russia. And so we were called over there to talk to them uh, about that. And th there's two or three of them that had been in the gulags. One, uh, one old guy that was just he was older than me, a uh, wonderful old man, great smile on his face. He spent two or three years in the gulag because he had a pound of candy that was contraband. That's who these people are. One pound of candy that was contraband. And he said, I'm happy about that, though. That's where I met Jesus. So, <laughs> guess what? It's amazing what they will put people through to make them and force them to comply. And if they don't comply, they destroy. You know, the Holocaust was bad, where six million Jews were killed, but there are over 100 million 
of the Russians' own people killed when they installed the Bolsheviks, the communists, into place because they would not comply with them. Now, <clears throat> these things, the destruction, it's interesting. How do they, what do they destroy? Well, they want to go back and destroy history. One of the things they want to go back and destroy they do away with things. They do away with, with monuments. They tear monuments down. That's part of what they want to do. They will silence all the dissenters with whatever opportunities they get. Uh, remember how the, the Jews were told to set up various monuments to remind them what the Lord had done. Remember when they came out of, of uh, Egypt and they came across the river? Set up a, set up a marker stone. And what did they tell them to do when they got into their own land? Set up marker stones. Set up reminders. Build an altar. They were told to do these things as memorials. To look back and think about the fact that one time they were totally enslaved and now they are no longer there. They're supposed to honor their God and that those markers and monuments were, were memories. And sometimes things were bad memories. A reminder, this is not the way we should have went. This is not the things that we should have done. But another, they should have been there. The history is the history. You can't change the history by trying to rewrite it. Remember how the Jews were told to set them up. History needs to be evaluated, not destroyed. We need to look back and find out where the mistakes were and make corrections. And you know, we've got about 6,000 years of it right now. And people say, well, we don't have a whole lot of writing. Yeah, we've got writing all the way back to right after the flood. The Sumerian culture uh, there in the, the uh, Tigris-Euphrates River Valley, they started writing back in the 2000s, 1900, back during the time of Abraham. They started writing uh, really some fascinating uh, documents. They started writing. The Assyrians had a massive library. Ashurbanipal, one of the kings who come, came along in the, I don't know, 7-800s BC, he had a library with over 100,000 documents in it that was, helped, that was wonderful to find because it helped to establish ancient history. We figured out who fought who and who killed who and when they did it. Because that's they were they were tremendous historians. Now, did they do everything right? Just read about the Assyrians, and you'll find out. No, they didn't. They were some of the meanest people that ever walked the face of the earth, and that's just that's who they are. They played games. One of the the games was uh, well, I'll just leave it out. But they played games, and it was really a, a bad. <laughs> type of games that absolutely they it it dealt with how to torture people and that's a simple statement about that now what are the 10 planks of communism now see these are things that I, I don't even know if we studied them when I was in high school a long time ago but now they're teaching these things is this is the way to do it well no it's not if you look at Communism, Marxism, it's never really worked in the history of the world. Ever. And so, what are we trying to do here? We have our own form because we're arrogant enough to think we can do it. Nobody else could do it, but we can, we can do it. At least we think we can. Now, the Ten Planks of Communism, done by Karl Marx a long time ago. And here they are. Do you see any of these things happening? 
The abolition of private property in land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. Have we seen any of this recently? When a government starts owning more and more land and confiscating more and more land, now they have the right of eminent domain found in the Constitution to take lands for public use, but in order to do that, there has to be a fair and just compensation. They do have a constitutional right to do that. But the abolition of private property and land, I find it interesting that there are a whole bunch of people that uh, own property, and suddenly the CDC made the decision that they had to forego rents for another few months. Excuse me? Where did the Center for Disease Control get anything near that kind of power that they could set aside the rights of a landlord to collect rents and just say you don't have to pay them for another few months because of this thing called COVID. Oh, maybe it looks like they're moving into taking things away from people without due process is what we call it. In India, I may have mentioned it, the government just required the disclosure of all property owned by board members of nonprofit corporations, which includes all the churches, all the mission organizations. They want a list of the property owned by board members and their wives. Now, why would they want that? What if they declare them illegal? Then what happens when countries declare certain things as illegal? like the Germans did with the Jews. They take their property is what they do. This is going on in India clearly. And so is it going on here? It started. Is it gone that far? No. But it started. How about a heavy progressive income tax? This is the, you can look this up, check it out, look it up on the web, it's easy to find. Just Google 10 planks of communism. These are what pops up. This is what pops up. The U.S., the United States, has one of the highest tax rates in the world on corporations. Already. Already. Now what have they done with the tax money that is outside of their constitutional authority? Now, that's a big question. You have to know the Constitution. Why do they not teach it in the schools anymore? Now, if people don't know, how do they fight? Then what do you have whenever they go? How about a constitutional scholar today going through Harvard Law School? What's he going to come out with? How to fight and win against it. That's what they're going to come out with not how to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. How many millions of people have sworn that oath over the course of the last 75 years? How many? Because that's a common oath. It's done not just for the military, but for law enforcement, for all, all kinds of places. That is... That is part of what is done. How about abolition of the rights of inheritance? That means anything you gain during this life can't be handed off to your kids. No more inheritance inheritance rights. And you know, that starts and ends with taxation. 
with a heavy progressive income tax. Now, right now, it's really not bad. It's really not bad unless your state's over $11 million or something like that. You don't get caught up in estate taxes or things like that. So that does take it to uh, a higher level required for it to, to fall into, into that realm. But do you know what the income tax started with? You remember? No, we, didn't, we weren't there when it happened. Riley's not here, so he couldn't say, yeah, I remember that. But anyway, when, when we... When we go back to 1913, when they passed the law to put in the income tax, you know what the income tax was? I believe it was 2% of everything over $100,000 income in a year. Now, how many people <laughs> in 1913 were making $100,000 a year? Most people, well, when, when I was... Growing up, my mom was working full-time for the Oklahoma City School Board, and her pay was $200 a month. You know, the teachers, I know for a fact, made $200 a month. $220 a month was considered good pay. They'd take on extra jobs after school to make another $20 a month. The minimum wage was a dollar an hour when I first started to, to work. Of course, you could get six hamburgers for that. <laughs> so it was a little bit different. We had one hamburger joint about two blocks from my house, and it's called Six for One. You had six hamburgers for a dollar, a big bag of fries for 15 cents, and a drink for 15 cents. I mean, you, you could get all you could eat. But the taxation, that's where it starts, and they don't want you accumulating anything and handing it off. Of course, they have ways to get out around this. If the people that write these laws are the ones that have all the all the stuff to uh, pass on and inherit, they have ways to get around it and figure out ways where only you get to pay it. So the abolition of rights of inheritance. Then we have the confiscation of the property of immigrants and rebels. Confiscation of property and immig- of immigrants and Rebels. Now, they're trying to define now law-abiding citizens as rebels. Have you noticed that? If you oppose what is what comes out of Washington primarily, and you disagree with it in any way, shape, or form, you're becoming classified as a rebel. Whenever this man in Loudoun County, Virginia, this last uh, couple of weeks ago, he was there, and they, he's the poster child for uh, disruptive parents in school boards. Now, the school boards have been found to be trying to install uh, the critical race theory, all kinds of things about this uh, gender identity and all this other stuff into the classrooms. But you know why he was there? It finally came out a week or so ago after they passed him around all over the place. He was there because his 14-year-old daughter had been raped by a transgender in the women's bathroom. Yeah, that didn't hardly make the mainstream media news, did it? I don't think it's come out. But he was there because they called him up to the school. He knew it happened. They told him it happened. They weren't going to they didn't do anything about it. They transferred the kid out of that school to another school where he where he raped another girl. Now, he, that's because he showed up in a dress, 
claiming that he was a girl and claimed he could use the women's restroom. Now, you knew it was coming. Anybody with any common sense knew it was going to happen. And whenever he went to them, they said, we have no reports of any incidents in the restrooms. That's what the school board told him. And he got a little hot under the collar. I don't blame him. Who wouldn't? And then they tried to take him out, which they eventually did. That's the real story behind it. And that's come out come out over the course of the last week. And so what are they what about him? Is he a rebel? Uh yeah. Is he a rebel? Huh. According to them he is, so what can happen to his property? All it's got to happen is this next step taken. Because they're starting to classify people who hold the Constitution in a high regard as rebels. And so that's all they've got to do. And then they become a domestic enemy against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so all you have to do is redefine them. I wrote Tom Coburn one time because he was looking at putting a law in about high-capacity rifles and all this stuff. And he said, we need some common sense, and this is what we need. And I wrote him back, and I said, you know, Senator Coburn, I think this is a, this is a mistake uh, to even make any concession whatsoever. And he said, well, you've got to do something about the mental health issue and stuff. And I said, that's all agreed. I said, when you start down this, though, all you have to do is get somebody in a high position to redefine mental health. Now, Coburn was a strong Catholic. He, he was an individual who, I think, um, I think he was a believer along the way. I think he, he was saved. I don't think that... And he wrote me back, and he said, well, we've got to do something about it. And he wrote him back, and I said, they're already trying to tell Christians we're crazy. They're already trying to do that. There have been people in high places. There have been people in Hollywood that said Christians are mentally ill. Now, that's where it's going. And I do think you're smart enough to see that. And uh, I didn't get a response to that letter, but that was... It was the truth. And what are they trying to do now? Well, if you're a Christian, you're believing in somebody you can't see. You've got to be mentally ill. See, because that is not science, is it? See what they're doing with all the science issue of immigrants. Now, that's a whole lot of the country, see, is an immigrant. All i got to do is flip some laws around. The centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank with state capital and an exclusive monopoly. (laughs) Andrew Jackson said, By the power of the Almighty God, we will throw the scoundrels out. (laughs) They really were trying to get him out of there. It didn't work too well with him. But what is happening? You know what's happened now in India? I looked to India because they're, they're about a year or two ahead of us in the in the overwhelming crush of Marxism. In India right now, everything that comes in from the outside has to go through a central bank in Delhi. There are no other banks. You're getting money into India right now. Anything that is done by, by bank wire has to go through the central bank in Delhi. So what are they trying to do? Take control. 
what's our government talking about? I'm not usually this specific, and I try to avoid things like this, but if they want to snoop on your bank account, if there's over a $600 transaction, where is that coming from? This. They want to know what you're doing. They'll pick on somebody that's unable to fight back. They'll establish a legal precedent. And the next thing you know, it's become a national crisis. Because somewhere in high places, people with a communist, Marxist, atheist worldview have got into power. The centralization, it's moving closer every day. The centralization of the means of communication and transportation in the hands of the state. Communication, is that being centralized? Like it or not, I mean, when I can talk about getting a toilet seat cover with my mom, and the next day I've got pictures on my phone of toilet seat covers. They're listening, folks. George Orwell, 1984. They said it would never happen. Guess what? Now, they're probably listening right now. That's fine. You know, what is that... What was that song in the 60s? They're coming to take me away, oh Lord. <clears throat> People don't stand firm. They become slaves. That's what happens. Centralization. Now, <clears throat> the government's going to take over by regulation. And we listen to them now and the government's going to get involved. Both parties are going to get involved in the dismantling of big tech companies. Do the big tech companies have too much power? Way too much power. Have they abused it? <clears throat> Absolutely, they have abused it. Does the government need to take it over? That's a whole other question. I don't think so. Because have they ever run anything well? And do they have a tendency to snoop? Whenever the Patriot Act was put in after 9-11 in 2001, we all knew we might have to give up some of our rights for a period of time in order to combat terrorists. I mean, that was just kind of obvious writing on the wall. We were going to have to do that to stay protected. But it went too far, and we never took it back. Kind of like a temporary phone tax put on by Southwestern Bell in 1918 that they didn't get taken off until about 2015. And it was a temporary phone tax. Just a little one. It appeared all the time on your bill. Nobody paid attention. It was just part of those fees and taxes that they add to it. But that's what it was. And it finally got taken off. <clears throat> the extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state. Does Russia own all the operations and and Russia, all the chemical factories and everything else like that, auto production factories, yeah. What do they want to do? At one time, General Motors needed a bailout and seemed like the federal government owned about 20% of their stock in return to bail them out. That's about 2008. And so <clears throat> the products of production owned by the state the bringing into cultivation of wastelands and the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with a common plan. The whole key is they're in accordance with a common plan. 
It's much like a planning and zoning commission you find in little, in little towns or big towns. Oklahoma City has a planning and zoning commission. And if you ever have to go and talk to them, you'll wish they didn't exist. <clears throat> I've got stories about that, but I'm running out of time. We had, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> this common plan. They have to take this common plan <coughs> so they can tell you who lives where. And so that they can redistribute everything. They redistribute population, redistribute wealth. <coughs> Oftentimes, it's just an attempt to, to uh, change demographics in order to win elections. <clears throat> the equal obligation of all to work. The establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. They want to take over all the farmland. All the farm. See, if you control the food, do you think you might control the people? Look at all, all this stuff done. This is They want this in the hands of the state. That's Marxism. A book called Agenda 21 by Glenn Beck. I don't normally recommend books like that, but it's quite interesting because what it, uh, what it does, it shows how everybody is obligated to work. And if you're at home, now if you're at home, you can still work. They'll put a bicycle in your house. <clears throat> and they'll hook this bicycle into the electrical grid. And you've got to pump that bicycle enough to get enough electricity into the grid to take care of yourself and the government. And when you can no longer do that, you are no longer useful to the state. And you are removed. Sound like fiction. There's actually a document that goes with it that he cites in the back of the book. The ninth point is a combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries. Gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country by a more equitable distribution of the population over the country. And they're actually working on that now. And they want, guess what, a free education for all children in government schools. The abolition of children's factory labor, nobody argue with that. Get rid of the kids working in the factories in its, in its present form. That was when this was written in the 1800s. And a combination of education with industrial production, etc. And we find that in a lot of the tech schools that are floating around now that has that same type of thing. And they're not bad. They teach people vocations. They let them make, a, make work and all this. But what happens when the government takes over all this stuff and then they start doing psychological testing and tell you where you can work. That's what they've been doing in Russia for a hundred years. They test kids. They tell them where they can go. They take them away from their parents. They put them in the places that they want them to, to go. And then they put them in this free education system and indoctrinate them. Why do you think there's such a backlash against private schools? We have teachers today who are still wonderful teachers. They're Christians. They're leaders. They have character. That's the way they work. That's the way they teach. That's who they are. But they're fading out more and more by kids being brought up in schools that teach that Marxism is the best form of government that there is. And then they start destroying the fact in colleges that God even exists. They go after that. So if you believe God exists, you're obviously foolish because that's not 
scientific. And that, in a nutshell, is the ten planks of communism. And it's real easy to see what's going on right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and your goodness. Father, we also thank you for this information. We thank you that we have the information to be able to properly evaluate what is going on in the world today. And Father, we pray that we'll be able to recognize it. We pray that we won't dwell on it. We pray we won't be afraid of it. Father, we just pray for the strength to do what we know is right to do. And Father, we look to you for that. Let us put our feet firmly on the rock. And let us look to you to lead us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.